Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NASDAQ Dorsey Wright podcast for the week ending on June 24th. Uh, my name is Ian Saunders, and joining us uh, today is Steve Raymond. Uh, so we are recording this podcast a little bit early this week. We're recording it Wednesday afternoon here, Steve, instead of on the typical time on Thursday. Uh, but in coming in and movement, I mean, we see, we've seen some pretty interesting market movement. I mean, over the, the course of the past few months, led to some interesting changes, which we can get into here in just a sec. I mean, the past couple of days, though, I've seen a little bit of a swing to the upside for some of those laggard areas, right? We've seen the S&P bounce a little bit, the NASDAQ bounce a little bit more. It's up another percent, at least at the time of this recording today. Um, but that's really after some pretty sharp deterioration from a lot of these kind of big major market core indices um, over the course of the past several months and then more kind of in, um, more last week as well, um, which led to some notable indicator shifts across some of the big uh, broad market or broad asset class uh, indicators that we have on, on the platform. I mean, I know we're going to dive into a few of the different cash indicators or cash potential raises that we've seen move on across the platform. And the one that's going to come to at least the forefront of a lot of a lot of individuals' minds that follow that broader dolly, that dynamic asset level investing tool, is the overtaking of domestic equities by cash. So for those that are maybe a little bit unfamiliar with that tool, it's ranking six broad asset classes by relative strength. And we've seen commodities hold on to that top spot, but domestic equities had been in that second position for, for a lot of this market turbulence. And we saw some of the moves last week, I guess, Steve, see cash rise above that domestic equities ranking. So now we have still commodities in first, cash in second, domestic equities in third. I mean, Steve, how does some of that... What what is some of that? Why did it wait this long to happen? I guess you know uh, is is a question I, I, a lot of people might be looking at. Yeah, I mean there could be several answers for that. The uh, uh, similar to the seventies, uh, similar to um, the late nineties into two thousand, that there was a uh, at least one could say, and I think certainly in this twenty twenty two paradigm, uh, where uh, institutions, big money is is holding on to that S and P core as their defensive piece, uh, rather than trying to move to fixed income uh, at the first sign of trouble as we crossed over the year. So yeah, it takes a while. And, and we're not sure that they've totally uh, divorced the core of equity, but we are sure that equity is stepping down, starting to leg down in certain uh, indications, uh, bullish percent trend, moving average, uh, and then relative leadership, as we're discussing today, it, it's been notching down in a thematic or orderly way. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's very sharp. In fact, you know, the old rule of thumb, you want to see sharp corrections. Um, and, and that typically uh, is, a, is a sign of a bull market correction, sharp, quick. And, and uh, maybe not as sharp as we got in 2020. But... Well, and that qualifies as a bull market right. correction. Right. So the but but now we've got this methodical. Uh, stepping down in, in different core readings. We have different instruments that read it, read it different ways, but all of them have been bleeding, if you will, mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a slower format than other other corrections or, or other situations we have may, may have seen in the past. So um, it, it can make sense. You know, not every uh, correction or, or bear market has the same footprint. They're, they're like snowflakes, but you can group them into two two areas: a long, drawn-out uh, bleed down, or a, a quick, you know, violent, more corrective type, which is generally uh, 
generally leads back to a bull market very quickly. Right. And so they're kind of more drawn out environment. I mean, it's kind of certainly kind of what we find ourselves in, in now. It right? seems so. Right. right. You've right. got you six would... months of, of, uh, of, of, of really methodically. In fact, I, I think we could look at different indications that you, one could point out each week, the indication gets worse than the week before, which led up to last Friday, right. which was true also, meaning that last Friday, you were, readings on domestic, but let's just say all equity, including non-US um, and, and various sectors, uh, whether they were laggards or just general equity, let's say, they've all had lower readings. Mm -hmm. In fact, Friday would be a low reading in, uh, in, uh, in equity in general. I don't care if you use scores or dolly or mm -hmm. different things, mm -hmm. um, you know, that would be, that would be true. Um, yeah, but it's quite amazing you know, to, to see, uh, you know, that cash move above the equity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you brought up a good point there. That's worth diving into some of the different kind of cash readings that we have, right? I mean, for those that might not be as familiar with the Dolly ranking, Dolly is looking at six broad asset classes, right? Those six, right. you have commodities, cash, domestic equities, international equities, fixed income and currencies. So those six kind of core asset classes. And then it's looking at multiple, multiple representatives from each asset class, but equal representation, to see, okay, how many times is the commodities representatives has the same amount of names as the other asset classes? How many times is the commodity names beating everything else, right? right. We then kind of tally up those wins and get get at the dolly ranking that you see displayed on the system. So just because we saw cash move above domestic equities doesn't just mean, hey, this one representative passed domestic equities. And 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 I think as you were you were saying as well, Steve, it's not just that we saw. I mean, it's not just that we saw that broad weakness from domestic equities to international too, and a lot of that can be seen. It, perhaps more so through, through some of the other indications like we have. I mean, if you want to kind of draw the, the line between some of what we're seeing on the Dolly page, which is that strictly relative strength-based analysis tends to be a little bit more, it, it takes a, a more, more work to see some changes there. Those bigger broad market picture changes where something on the, the like the group scores page, like you right. mentioned, I mean, you, you might've seen some of these changes occurring, at least from a cash perspective, a little bit earlier on. Yeah, and we and we have different, you know, we have we have actually more than two. We have we have several systems uh, to work with cash. Uh, the, the whole idea is to measure what the risk-free rate's doing, mm. to, to to figure out well, sh should we have some risk-free assets versus just at-risk assets? So that concept's been going on here for for years, uh, and and we have different different versions of that. Um, you know, some of our cash uh, or money market or our our indications triggered. Uh, in, in actual models triggered in, in March, at the end of March. Um, so we've been at this game of some things having cash, some other things not yet having cash, you know, as that, as that process uh, goes through time. Uh, keep in mind in context, the average equity fund of any kind on our whole system scores at a certain score, let's say it's two, you know, 2.4, 2.39, somewhere in there. And, and that is actually the score, the low score of the COVID low so we've we've matched that let's say over the last mm -hmm. day or two so we're in that context where scores have, have, have really been hit to that degree and then you know we don't know what tomorrow brings but we are oversold but but again still the point is is that you know equities uh had a, a severe uh, uh test here and uh and and, and and some of those tests both in group scores uh where cash is stronger uh, than the average equity fund. It, 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 it's also true um, 
in the uh, in the equity uh, U.S. equity part of Dolly that cash is now ranking stronger than that U.S. contingent. So, mm -hmm. uh, so there's the you know kind of the similarity between the two systems, uh, showing you how how great the stress is yeah. in the market. You know, you don't really see you know this kind of thing uh, you know every year, um, but 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 there's a pattern of these things happening to some degree. Uh, you know, every every several years, and uh, and we're we're back at it again. So, the uh, you know the real question is is you know will the will the cash go to number one? Which you know I wouldn't like to presume that it would, um, but we have to monitor those things to see where it is that it it moves up or move, moves back down. Yeah, I've seen uh, cash indications, uh, you know, that say you know cash is stronger, cash is stronger. You know they can peel back rather quickly under the right uh, bullish circumstances in the equity market. So far, uh, you know, even though there have been some rallies along the way during this 22, uh, you know, 2022 session, uh, none of them have been able to stop this trend of lower mm -hmm. readings. Uh, and I think that's the other thing. I mean, it's a good point to touch on. It's like you talked about that the global equity, that all equity funds group, right? I mean, the 2.4 score range, pretty pretty low. But it's not like heavily oversold from a group of right. a result standpoint. I mean, you see that kind of that stair stepping lower. You're down. You're down a lot. You're up a little bit. You're down a lot. You're up a little bit. I mean, that's going to kind of not. I mean, you're still in oversold territory in a lot right. of these broader indications. But it's not like anything like we saw in in 2020 or even 2018. To, you saw like some pretty intensely oversold. Right? You have to interpret the 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 thing you're seeing in context with that the the time in question. For example, the 2018 sell-off was super rapid mm -hmm. and that that doesn't allow trading bands a chance to catch up so you get extreme readings when things move fast uh the the 2020 covid sell-off was uh, literally the full down move was only 21 days so that expands the trading bands rapidly and you get big big numbers when things move fast mm -hmm. um you know which again i would prefer to see those kinds of markets. The it's it's the slow move down um, that keeps the trading bands from getting you know too you know too big in the numbers. But you could still say that you know we're still 100% oversold in in this paradigm. Um, whereas if it moved a lot faster, then that number would be much much greater. Right. Right. Um, so in context, I think things are you know. Uh, working at the speed that the market's going the market's moving in a very methodical or orderly pace um you could say for for 10 months on the non-us following this what we call this negative score path or this this descent in strength and, and of course the last big piece of equity to join that negative descent is is really the core of the us itself so mm -hmm. that was a you you call the last man standing principle you know that's where you know that's where we find ourselves today, um, but I think it's important always to recognize whenever cash indicators are moving, as well as fixed income indicators moving, is you know why are they moving? Um, how many systems see this movement? Um, what are the rankings? Because see those those rankings actually are going to end up causing you to change your asset allocation. Uh, you know, if, if equity is number one or two, then your equity allocation is always, you know, right there. And you're doing very similar things that you may have done over years. 
But if, if, if rankings start changing, then that, that's, that, that's the alarm that, you know, models are changing. Uh, you should uh, weed out the laggards. You should be careful with, uh, you know, those equity components that are, uh, you know, let's say worse off uh, than best of breed. Um, but one way or the other, it's going to change the allocation. Right. And we've seen that in some of our models. Some of our models have gone to cash uh, partially or completely. Uh, some of our models have not gone to cash, but but have raised uh, certain low volatility assets within them. That's mm -hmm. their way of being defensive. Um, and, and again, we're still in a moving story. So uh, although it is six months into this year, uh, you, you'd say the chapter is not over yet. You know, I've never seen a market kind of not do anything after um, hit the negative 100% oversold reading on a, on a, on a, on a overbought oversold curve, meaning it, it, it's going to move, you mm -hmm. know, is it up or down? Right. But, right. but, but we're going to have, we're going to see some activity. So the story is not over yet. Yeah. In that concept of volatility. I mean, you, you talk, we talked a lot on this podcast through the course of the past few weeks about, really low levels for a lot of like the participation indicators, yeah. like your bullish percentage, your positive trends. I mean, when we see stuff at low levels, I mean, it, you would think, I mean, just in looking at it's low, it's got to go up, right? Yeah. But but when it's at these low levels, I think an important thing to keep in mind is is it, it's not necessarily just because it got down there, it means it's all of a sudden going to turn around and reverse back up. I mean, you, right. you, you're going to see that volatility kind of bouncing back and forth. Yeah, a one, lot of the time. one of the ways we, we would tell ourselves or certainly used to is say that, you know, we just don't know how long it will stay in that in that low field position, and that's why we have them. So we right. wait to watch it. Right. right. So you got to you got to see the you got to see the improvement, and, and sometimes indicators take two reversals up, you know, mm -hmm. up, mm -hmm. down, up, back up, you know, to you know to get a to get a solid um, a signal that that, it, that ends up being very helpful, and, and that's it. When you get the low field position, you just you don't know the time increment. You know, things can stay low for many months. 2008 was a issue like that where you first reached these massive over uh, you know south low field position levels and many most indicators uh, and very high money market uh, rankings and, and and so forth but they stayed that way for months that wasn't over next week let's say so there are there are reasons to be cautious with low level on the one hand you're educating your client hey we're getting ready to uh, you know, make some proactive moves. Here's what we're looking for. Make sure, you know, the, the client's ready to roll because usually when indicators are in low, the lowest field position is when the public is frightened, scared right. to actually be proactive. And that's why the advisor really is there to say, hey, no, this this is actually what we're waiting for. And we're, we're just playing this correctly by, by waiting for some positive indications to come out of low field position. I think that's a great game plan, mm -hmm. um, but it's never going to feel great. Right. right. You know, uh, all, you know, as some have said, this, this is, this, this looks like a bear market, but all bear markets are messy. I mean, all of them were, uh, they are, they will be. So the idea of having a game plan as well, you know, you've got the indicators. Okay. We're, we're working with them. We have cash indicators, uh, we, we've raised some cash. We're, we're doing things, and then when we get into low field position on equity indications, and and we get some a reversal up, uh, and possibly two, I mean that really is going to uh, produce a, a, an enormous opportunity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At the and generally when people are uh, exhausted with, uh, with, with or 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 with fright.
Right. Um, so those things go go hand in hand. Um, but that's why we're that's why we have a you know a rules based system where those you know here's where you know we 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 look at uh, moving in and that that time could be right now um, and, and and we we could see rallies begin within you know a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, and I mean we've seen a little bit of a pickup. Like we kind of started off this, we've seen a little bit of movement up, but the thing we're not seeing the indicators improve yet. Right? I mean, right. with the like we we're up by two percent yesterday, up another one percent day in the Nasdaq. I mean, you're seeing that that's improvement i mean when you're seeing green on the screen it's a it's a lot better sign than it right. than it is most days when it's just all had been all all red like it was maybe toward the end of last week um but we're just not seeing that kind of longer term improvement on some of these indicators like no. we're talking about even on these upswings i mean it's more like a, a rebound out of that kind of oversold condition on right. some of these than it is that kind of broader based technical improvement that you really want to be looking for right you just have to run the play right. that you can run right and then string those together with future plays that will be run, that we will run. Um, and, and that's just part of, you know, you know, the, the downside of not understanding the future ahead of time is, is that when now we have to just run a game plan mm-hmm. and so that we, you know, work the game plan here and we just have to be patient. Um, I can tell you that, you know, rallies, w- there, there will be magnificent rallies indications um, you know, could improve, might improve. Um, but we're just in this period of time where you're really trying to hunt down one of the three pieces of the game plan, which is what to buy, mm-hmm. you know, of the things that are available. And they could come from many different areas. You know, the commodity energy area is probably most likely of holding up fine. Um, you know, of the of the core assets, maybe the low vol is better than the high vol of the core assets. You know, mm-hmm. of non-US, there are some better uh, areas mm-hmm. than others. And of course, I have to go back to this fixed income, which is fixed income does have areas that I see score at three or higher. Right. And you just cannot deny that. You talk about beat up, washed out areas. Yeah. Like they got yeah. in the first several months of the year. It, it, it's important for asset allocation to get back to this idea that we just don't write off assets, asset classes and take them off the system. Right. We, you know, no, we go back and say, no, we, we've had a negative view on much of fixed income uh, for for quite a while, but but some of those groups are coming back into relative play. In fact, I could make a statement here, which is true, that the average fixed income fund of all fixed income put together in one big fish fishbowl has a higher score than if I did the same thing with all equity funds. Wow. So again, we we want to go back to saying well, but and, and you, I mean, I want to classify that too because yeah. I mean, it's not just all it's all U.S. equity. I mean, if you're yeah. taking that all U.S. equity diversified, I mean, just looking at you can. Fixed incomes two point seven four in U.S. equities too. So it's not even people have been, um, I guess, uh, international equities been out of favor for a while. So right. even if you're just looking at that U.S. versus fixed income, right. I mean, that, that score paradigm's changed. That's uh, that, 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 that's a that's a good point. And uh, you know, to go further is we don't know how that's going to unfold, but we do know that that's a challenge, meaning that that has actually happened. Um, and you don't know the psychology. Maybe we don't. Maybe no one knows for sure the psychology of the big money and the and the how, how the smart money, how, wherever we tag this big block money in the market. You know, we don't know that they haven't said to themselves, "Well, we're picking up more fixed income. It's been tortured enough, and that, that's how they're going to proceed." And it very well could be. So, so cash, fixed income, you know, domestic equity. Then you got the non-US equity, of course, the commodity piece, but commodities can only hold so much of your neta, meaning it's not a big enough space for you to put all your money in. 
be great uh, if it was from a return standpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be easy to say that we right, get everyone right. is able to do that. So you really do need to know the status of U.S. equity, um, non-U.S. equity, uh, fixed income and money market, because that's where that asset allocation has got to be spread out. Mm -hmm. um, and, and take note that um, if this is an extended bear market, that we probably will have higher increased weightings in money markets and, and fixed income as we step along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, heading for that 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 better place when equity starts to, you know, really bolster up, and we don't, you know, quite frankly, that's why we have tools. We've got to know how the non-U.S. is is coming along, and then the U.S. We can say historically, and and in observation right now, that the non-U.S. went out of favor much earlier. It, it's been it's it's been beat up, uh, and going through a you you would call a maturation process of. Of being negative much longer than the U.S. and so it's it's possible we've seen this in the past that, that they they come out of the hole first uh, down the road here and um, but you never know so so what we do is we you know take a look at the readings and go with the you know the best fund selection for you know the best portfolio is well what did you actually buy um, you know if it's ETFs well what what, what each ETF is is doing relatively better. Than its uh, competitor, right. um, and, you know, and that's that's how we that's how we do this. But I think it is fascinating that we're in one of these markets where the cash has moved up um, to a to a, a enough of a prominent level that it needs to be highly respected. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And I mean, I think looking at some of these, I mean, we we talked a lot about cash, talked a lot about fixed income. That doesn't mean there isn't anything else working, right? I mean, we're right. seeing. As Steve said, we're, we're seeing commodities are still strong. You can't allocate but so much toward it. But we're still seeing some strength in some of the more commodity-related areas within domestic right. equities. I mean, your energy, your basic materials kind of areas. It's, a lot of that stuff's pulling back today, especially. We're seeing a pretty notable pullback over the past couple of days in crude oil. And that's going to lead to some normalization on a lot of the stuff. It might have been a little bit overbought because it was the only place to be in within domestic equities for a while. So another potential area that could, could kind of be looked at, looked toward there. Um, but I think Steve, you, you made, I mean, the great point that sticking with the game plan, having that objective approach that you're looking at, whether you're looking at Dolly, whether you're looking at group scores, saying a lot of the same kind of stuff right now. Right. And there's a relative relationship, like, for example, energy has a relative relationship to the other asset classes. And just because it has a big price pullback doesn't mean the, 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 the relative strength had a big pullback. This is very important. Uh, take note, uh, I say this often. Uh, energy and commodity related assets have at least twice the relative variance as the base core market. You could say uh, they'll move twice as much in either direction and still be normal to their own behavior as the equity market. So you get massive volatility in energy and commodities does not mean it's abnormal. Uh, what we're really keen on is are they holding that relative leadership and, and, and there's no question that they are. Some some precedents for this are, are different pockets in time, but in the '70s, commodities and energy related assets. You know, if you if you added up all ten years of the uh, you know the '70s, uh, I mean they they dominated uh, at least eighty percent of that chronological time, and then had some sharp pullbacks. You know, in the middle of those times, and then jump right back up into leadership. So, I do understand the high volatility of that asset class makes it a little bit unnerving to handle, uh, but that that but that doesn't mean it's not operating normally. Yeah. 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 And I think we still I, I think we can confidently say we're still at number one. We're still at high dominance in that high volatile area.
right. Um, right up until, you know, something else, uh, you know, shows that it's more dominant because there is one fact that we often see, and I think it makes sense, is that, you know, leadership is usually caused by, you know, high, high demand. Um, and, and that's where the investors want to be. That's where the smart money wants to be. When, when we see that shift to become a laggard or, or go out, that's not how it happens. What, what happens is smart money, big money, uh, and investors move to new areas that they like better. And those areas come up and take, take the new leadership right. and they build that base and they get to that leadership and then the old leadership falls off. So keep in mind that no one's going anywhere until they find something that they want to buy. Right. And, 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 and what they want to own is, is this area. Also keep in mind that commodities, energy, and like spent years building a higher base of relative strength along the way. They didn't just come out of nowhere. This, I feel like it. But yeah, it, it feels like, you know, when you have 50% returns in a year, it feels like it came out of nowhere, but it, but this has been building and building and building. And so, you know, our tool set allows you to take a look at some history of things and you can track in, in, in time, uh, meaning now, you know, what asset classes are starting to improve, mm -hmm. you know, who's, who's going to start building a base northward on a relative strength basis. And quite frankly, you know, we're, we're still in a position where the equities are still in that down move of, of relative strength, but we'll be able to, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see uh, upticks. I, I think that the latest asset class uh, and tranches uh, inside itself that have showed uh, improvement from where they were is fixed income. Right. So, you know, you, you know, that's the one that, you know, has caught our attention. Let's say it's caught my attention and uh, you know, and there, there's another story, uh, you know, stepping its way through time. Um, and then again, we keep looking to see positive signs from, uh, you know, from various equity groups. Um, you know, and we'll just have to be patient to do so. Yeah, being patient and kind of continue to follow that game plan and follow these indicator changes. Right. And I mean, as we continue to do, whether it's through the daily report or whether it's through the media content or this podcast, I mean, we'll continue to try to keep you all, the listeners, kind of up to date with with any changes that we're seeing on a on daily basis through the report, on a weekly basis through this podcast. Because um, there's certainly a lot moving on underneath the hood, not just in equities. I mean, it, like you said, in fixed income too, um, and as well certainly in that commodity space. So a lot of stuff moving on. We'll continue to try to keep uh, keep everybody up to date. But uh, in the meantime, Steve, I think that uh, that wraps up most of what we we're looking to looking to cover here. So thank you, thank you for joining thank us you. here this My week, pleasure. and uh, to everyone listening in, thank you for joining us this week as well. And we'll be back to talk you with the, talk with you next week.